0: to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness success and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality to access post podcast discussions insights and further resources visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded so thanks for joining me today now let's get to grinding Yo, yo, what's up, everyone, and welcome to this week's very special episode of Stay Grounded with my new friend, Mr. Jonathan Robinson. Jonathan is an absolute legend. In fact, this might be one of my favorite conversations I've had all year. I know I say that a lot about almost every episode, but this one truly touched me in a, in, a, in such a heartwarming way. I can feel Jonathan's energy from across the room, and, and I'm just going to read his bio because I think it's incredible. So Jonathan Robinson is a psychotherapist, a multiple-time best-selling author whose methods have reached over 250 million people worldwide, and his work has been translated into over 46 languages. He's been on The Oprah Winfrey Show and has spent over 35 years studying and practicing the most powerful methods for personal and professional development. He's interviewed everyone from the Dalai Lama, Deepak Chopra, Mother Teresa, Louise Hay, on his own podcast, and he's the brand new author of The Enlightenment Project, which we talk a ton about on this episode. Man, I just love this conversation so much. He, Jonathan has this incredible ability, and I think I've learned this from people who are true masters of their craft. Like True masters of their craft can take the esoteric, this thing that's so big and so wide, and distill it down into practical, into something that you can hear, something that you can understand, something that you can take home today. And, you know, Jonathan brought up a really good point about how there's so many tools for spirituality, ancient tools that have been used for years, but we're not living in an ancient world anymore. We're living in a modern society with lots of noise and lots of chaos. And, you know, instead of getting, you know, 10 messages a day, now we're inundated with 3,000 messages a day. And so as nature of reality evolves, our tools have to evolve with us. And that's truly what we talk a lot about on this episode is how do we actually take this esoteric nature of spirituality and make it tangible how do you get out of the mind and into present moment awareness effectively and you know jonathan has done so much research on this not only has he lived this experience i mean he's traveled all over the world to learn from some of the world's most profound teachers of spirituality and consciousness and and i just really appreciated this because it, it was such a practical conversation that's what it came back to like Like There was very little woo in this conversation. Everything came back to like, what can you do and how does it benefit you? And how can you begin to look at this sort of framework of spiritual development through the lens of that, a framework, so you can find your place in it and choose your own path and step into greater levels of wholeness within yourself. So I love this conversation. I hope you guys love it too. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, any of the podcast apps, all that means is that every single time we release new episodes uh, like this one, it arrives straight into your inbox, tag me on social media, reach out to Jonathan and just let him know how the conversation resonated for you. We want to hear from you. We are so grateful for this conversation to reach your ears and I just love you guys. So thank you all for being. I hope the holiday season is finding you well. And all of you are taking this time to sort of ground down and really reflect on how beautiful this year has been. If it's been a hard year, I hope you are celebrating you making it to this point and celebrating all of the things that created this moment for you to access more love within yourself. I'm cheering you on. We are cheering you on. And without further ado, here is the amazing Mr. Jonathan Robinson. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What is up, everyone? And welcome to this week's very special episode of Stay Grounded. Jonathan, welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to it, Raj. This will be fun. I rarely meet other guests who one have incredible podcasts, but two say that they also only prepare about 15 to 20 seconds before they go on air. And you have interviewed some incredible guests over the years. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering from that space of, of why do you think just kind of coming into the conversation with curiosity? How has that practice led to really deep and fulfilling conversations with some of these incredible human beings that you've had a chance to, to meet over the years? Well,
1: as you know, I've I've interviewed everybody from the late Mother Teresa to the Dalai Lama, about a hundred spiritual leaders in total. And, you know, people like that are used to people being nervous around them or being highly prepared and just being stiff. And even when I was interviewing the Dalai Lama, it was kind of like we had fun together because I didn't have anything prepared. I'm just going with my curiosity. I'm I'm being real. And people like realness, people like authenticity. And I think that can only happen if you don't prepare and you're just saying what you're thinking and feeling in the moment. And that's a key to
0: good relationships as well. Let's start there too, because I think there's something to be said about The energy of curiosity, Mm -hmm. right? And how has that, that energy, I guess as a practice, you use it in your podcast, but how do you carry that energy into your life? And how does that, how does that dictate the way that you experience more joy, fulfillment and happiness on a day to day basis?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I was kind of fortunate in that I had a midlife crisis at age 12 where I got very severely depressed and even suicidal because I had a really dysfunctional family. And so my curiosity was, how can I get out of this? You know, how can I survive? And at first I turned to self-help books and I saw that that helped a little bit, but then it became like, everybody knows something that would make my life better. So what is it that you know, Raj, that would make my life better? And my job, my mission was to find out what that was. Well, it started with friends, but then it ended up being over a hundred spiritual leaders. And it has helped me to learn very precise ideas and methods that have made me go from like depressed and suicidal to, you know, life is a daily joy now. So I even, you know, a cashier at a supermarket. How is it they're able to stand for eight hours when I can't stand for an hour without hurting my back? You know, I mean, little things, but also how to find inner peace. You know, the Dalai Lama knows a lot about peace. My job is to find out the best and quickest ways to get there. Or I know a friend who's very loving. How is it that you manage to be loving towards everybody? You know, I want to know that. So curiosity has has really been the thing that led me out of a life of depression into a life of, what, you know, I call enlightenment because I, I my book's called the Enlightenment Project because it's been a, a project. How do I enlighten myself? Find the best, greatest hits, and then let other people know about it. On, you know, I've been on Oprah and a bunch of other shows because it's really practical stuff, and that's what has really turned me on these last forty years of interviewing people.
0: Do you feel like? You know, enlightenment's a really interesting word. Do you feel after all these years you've you've experienced something related to that? Or, or do you feel like you're still on the journey? Like, how do you define enlightenment?
1: Yeah. Well, a very simple definition of enlightenment is experiencing the world directly without the lens of the ego. You know, we often think we're some character or some role, or we have a bunch of thoughts in our head, thinking stuff. But if you can clear all that up for a moment, even, you know, maybe watching a sunset or looking into the eyes of a child or making love, then you're experiencing life really directly. So I think people have moments of that. The question is, how do you have more moments of that? So I've gone from having like one of those moments per year to having one of those moments per hour. And those really precious sacred moments of being fully here, fully alive and aware really are what make life worth living. And if you can have them twenty times a day, that's good. Some people, not me, live in that all the time. They are fully awakened beings, but at least, you know, I'm moving in the right direction.
0: Oh, I love that. That's actually a beautiful way to put it. It's it's pure presence anything yeah. that brings you into pure presence how so you said you experience it you know several times a day you know what are the different entry points for you to enter or to quiet the ego i have a very loud mind <laughs> and a lot of times you know i'm sure you're the only one yeah, no yeah. one else could have a <laughs> right so for anyone who else who, who may have chatter 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 up here you know how to what are some different ways that that you personally practice getting or moving beyond the ego into pure presence that have worked for you or anything that you've learned from any of the individuals you've interviewed over the years? Well,
1: that's a big question. In, in the Enlightenment Project book, I probably present 35 or 40 different entry points because I think each person has to find what works for them. It's very specific. So what worked for me may not work for you. But just to give you an example of one thing, I'm a lazy person, Raj, so most methods I know that work for me take less than 20 seconds to do. Because if something takes a while to do, I'm too busy, I probably won't use it. So one example is, when I've interviewed a lot of spiritual teachers, they've said that gratitude is an entryway to this enlightened experience. And so when a friend of mine came back from India, all like shiny, and and he said he learned a way to be grateful throughout every moment of his day. I said, well, what's the method? And he said, well, you have to get the method directly from the guru. So I go to India to get the method from the guru. I mean, it's 20,000 miles away or whatever, and you know, once I'm there, I take rickshaw for four hours and finally get a chance to talk to this guru, because I want this method. So in an Indian accent, the guru says, Yes, my method's the most powerful on earth. And he leans in to whisper in my ear and he says, Whenever possible, repeat these words. The mantra I give you are the words, thank you. Mm. Well, I look at him, I think he's joking. But he's not smiling, so I say, that's it? I traveled 20,000 miles, I go, thank you? And he said, no, that's it, is what you have been using. That makes you feel like you never have enough. My mantra is thank you, not that's it. You know. So when you eat good food, say thank you. And when you see your child or a sunset or a pet, say thank you, and soon you'll be filled with gratitude. Well, it sounds stupid, but nowadays I'll feel my heart, many times a day for like 5 seconds and then say thank you to god or the universe and it taps me into a very quick moment of being grateful for this thing i mean i get to talk about this stuff with you you're on the you know other side of the country it's all free your listeners didn't have to go to india to get that mantra and these little things can make a big difference so You know, I have a list of maybe 60 methods that take under a minute that can snap people out of their mind for a moment and into their heart or into their awareness. And those things can make a huge difference in feeling like you're like plugged into the universe rather than just a walking head with legs.
0: When you say feel your heart, can you unpack that a little bit for anyone who may actually not understand what that means. Yeah. By the way, you ask
1: great questions. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Following my curiosity. <laughs> All right, right.
1: So there's two aspects to it. One is just feeling physically the center of your chest and noticing that you do have a chest and a body because a lot of times we're in our head. And then... You know, what I originally did was I started to feel, and people listening can do this now, think of some person or pet that you have great affection for. I'm happily married, but I um, have some baggage with my wife sometimes, but I have no baggage with my dog. So I might think of times that I've really connected with my dog. And I just feel my love for my dog, feel my gratitude for my dog, that I'm grateful that she's healthy, that she's having a great time in life. And you can do this with a young child, too. That works well. So I just feel a certain affection or love there. And that kind of is centered in the middle of my chest. And with practice, you know, it used to take me five minutes to really feel that. Now it takes me about three seconds. So many times a day, I can tap into feeling love and then saying thank you to God or the universe for this moment. You know, today I'm healthy. It's a beautiful fall day. I'm talking about my favorite subject. I have a hundred items in my refrigerator that are good to eat. I have a shower that works. You know, there's a lot of terrible things in the world now, but there's a lot of amazing, wonderful things. And by focusing on these Moments of magic and presence that we have so easily nowadays, it taps you into a higher vibration. And you know, you talk about staying grounded. Well, if you're caught up in your head, you're going to be pretty ungrounded nowadays. But if you tap into gratitude, love and inner peace, that's really the way to be grounded.
0: And mm-hmm. I love that you're tying in inner peace. Which seems like a very calm state with the opposite, which is like magic and awe and wonder. It's like there's these oscillations because all of it is love. Yeah. And that's why I just love even the idea of many different entry points into this state because it's very empowering. Like you can enter into bliss and love. Joseph Campbell had a really beautiful quote, which was, you know, bliss is every feeling fully felt. So even if it's sadness in front of you, you can lean into sadness as a way to get to that. You know, so do you have any experience? You know, I think we've talked a lot about the light and, you know, gratitude Mm -hmm. and the love. But like, what about some of the the emotions that we necessarily don't want to be in, like the sadness or the anger? Or is there an opportunity to lean into those as a way to enlightenment or enlightened states? Yeah, I
1: think. Yeah, Joseph Campbell's quote is really good, that what mostly creates difficulty in our life is resistance to stuff, resistance to sadness, resistance to anger. It's kind of like, is like a, a stopped up sink. There's no flow. But if you have no resistance, things flow really quickly. They don't stay stuck. You know, depression might be a person feels like they've been depressed for a year Well, I get depressed. It just lasts 25 seconds. And Mm. then something else flows through because I'm more in the moment. And I do have negative feelings, but they just don't get stuck and last. Because when they're there, I try to open to them, feel them fully, or sometimes express them even by screaming to a rock and roll song you know, just get it out. You you look at two-year-olds, they get upset and they have a tantrum and 30 seconds later, they're fine. But human beings don't do that. So they sometimes get all these stuck negative emotions and then they don't get to tap into the love, light, peace, and joy, which really are our birthright.
0: Mm. That is absolutely right. Like it's And I love coming back to kids because you're right. Like when kids come onto this planet, like they don't carry the baggage. They're just light and love and you can feel them like their frequency is just high for anyone who may actually be sitting in, you know, longer periods of, of depression or longer periods of that stuckness and heaviness. How would you speak to them? Like what would you encourage in them to open up more? or allow the the stuckness to remove so that it can be shorter episodes or actually potentially even just leave.
1: Mhm. Well one thing I talk about in the book is having an experimental attitude. Try a bunch of stuff and see what seems to work for you from your lived experience. So you know, try screaming to rock music while hitting your bed. See if that does anything for you. Try meditating. See if that works for you. Try taking antidepressants. See if that works for you. Try connecting with friends. See if that works for you. And, you know, but studies show, and one of the things I tried to do in the Enlightenment Project book is get clear on what science is showing really works the best. You know, I mean, you might be able to live fine diet of potato chips, but science says you probably do better if you have a well-balanced diet. And the same is true in the search for inner peace and enlightenment, that Certain techniques have been shown to work amazingly well, and certain techniques seem to work not at all. Well, go with what the science says, and so I tried to present that in the book, that you know these are the top 10 techniques that lead to awakening, according to all the teachers. And what's interesting, a lot of these methods are only like two or three or five years old, but a lot of people are using methods that are 2,000 years old, and they don't work in this modern society. You know nobody has a computer from thirty years old, so why are we using spiritual techniques that are two thousand years old?
0: That's a really interesting perspective I'm curious to know I would love to go down that route a little more actually uh, around okay. the the practices from two thousand years. I do feel like we've been evolving a lot faster than our bodies are actually evolving mm-hmm. so for me i'm 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 actually finding a lot of Um. Yeah, I'd love to know, like, the 2,000-year-old practices, is it that they aren't relevant anymore? Is it that there needs to be an evolution of them? How do you kind of see them? I
1: think there has to be a a evolution and even a revolution around them because they did work 2,000 years ago, but we live in a much faster-paced society. You know, 2,000 years ago, people would get, like, 10 messages a day from friends or their environment. Now we get about 3,000 messages per day. That's a different world. Yeah, And we have to adapt our brain and our heart and our methods for waking up with stuff that takes shorter lengths of time to do that are more like power tools. You know, I'm building a deck now at first, I used a handsaw for the first board. It took like an hour to cut it. Now I got you know expensive <laughs> power saw, and it takes two seconds to cut it. You know, so the same is true with spiritual methods. That there are some methods that I present in the book and and such that can cut through a lot of mind chatter really quickly and give you an experience right away. And most people don't know what those methods are. They're still doing Hatha yoga or Vipassana meditation or TM. And I don't see those in the science as being very effective.
0: So do you think these quicker methods are as effective, like last, do they have as effective of lasting results as maybe some of the more traditional methods? Do you feel like we're trading in like the efficiency and the quickness for, and and we're trading that in for effectiveness?
1: No, I think that they are effective long-term. One Harvard researcher that I work with named Dr. Jeffrey Martin has shown that these methods actually create longer lasting effects. Interesting. That it's persistent over time. He studies people who have been, quote, enlightened for at least a year so it's not like they're even just getting a These are people who have a full-on transformation. And usually they had to create their own method because the method that they got from their system wasn't working for them. You know, here's a simple example. One method I do now, I call it the love meditation. I made a list of everybody I've ever loved in my life or everybody I've ever appreciated. You know, old girlfriends, family members, friends, etc. So, you know, it ends up being like 50 people. And then I spend a minute on each person thinking about what I loved about them, what I appreciate about them, and opening my heart to being grateful that they've been in my life. And while you do that 50 times in a row, you're you're bathing yourself in love. What could be a better thing than that? Well, that's not an official meditation of any system, but one guy used it and he went from depressed to fully enlightened master in three months. And it is a very powerful meditation. So there's a lot of great stuff out there that's new that most people don't know about. And that's why I wrote the book.
0: This is brilliant. I, and I'm I have more curiosities. Yeah. So I love these practices as like in the moment, you know, this like that love meditation, even like you can do that in the moment today. How do you balance mm-hmm. some of those practices that are moment to moment with more like actually going into the root and learning to either look at our look at our childhoods, release trauma, like how do you balance some of the like the harder inner work with some mm-hmm. of the the practical day to day things that we can do to just be in more love
1: yeah, well you know think of it like two wings of a plane if a plane has one strong wing and one weak wing, that plane's going to go around in circle and then crash. So part of it is we're wanting to work on our psychology, things like trauma, stress, things like that, that can involve certain psychological methods that I talk about in the book as well, because I think that's important. The other wing is more like a transcendent wing. How do you get into the moment more deeply and quickly? So I think both those things have to be attended to Mm. and you got to find what is the right balance for you. For many years, I worked on the, the psychological trauma, conditioning, triggers, all that stuff. I'm a psychotherapist. So I've looked deeply into that. And in the book, I, I present what I think works really well in that area. And now I'm more on the transcendent side. I've cleaned up a little bit. Mm, yeah. And I work more on the transcendent side because that's really fun. <laughs> but I think you have to do both at the same time and just find the right balance for you.
0: I really appreciate, you know, you even saying you, you did that. And then it's like, okay, I feel complete. Now I can go play. I love the word even play and fun because it is more of a creation, a transcendence. And so do you feel like I went through a period where I went really deep into the the psychology, the psychotherapy, that route. Like I went really deep for a few years and I'm so grateful that I did that because it it was difficult like going into it and being in it. But I also feel so much clearer now, like my nervous system just calmed down and now I can just Mm -hmm. stay over here a lot easier. How much of a, like for somebody who's just starting out, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not as far down or may not have a lot of resources. What balance would you recommend to that person? And how do you recommend they find their balance? I guess if, if there's Mm -hmm. limited time, if there's thousands of tools, like, you know, how do you, how do you sort of approach this, this kind of overwhelming world of, of learning to love yourself?
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's useful to think, what is my weakest leg now? And work on your weakest leg. You know, some people, they don't even know what transcendence means. They don't know what meditating into ecstasy is like. For them, I might even suggest, you know, psychedelics. Just know what's out there. Know what's possible and be yeah. careful with that. Um, <laughs> or, or, or go to a retreat and, and maybe quiet your mind and see what that's like. But for other people, I would say their weakest link is they always have trouble in relationships. So do some therapy or learn some communication methods because that's the weakest link. You know, if Bill Gates tries to make an extra billion, that doesn't really affect his life. But if his back is hurting and going to a good chiropractor fixes his back, that makes an amazing difference in his life. And it's the same for you and I that there's usually something that we're not attending to. It might even be finances that if that were better, everything else would be better. And so in, in the enlightenment project, I talk about those different areas and how to know what your weakest link is. Cause mm. a lot of people don't know that, you know, just asking your friends. When I asked my friend, when I asked my friends that uh, 10 years ago, um, they all said the exact same thing, which wasn't even on my radar. So, you know, it's not always obvious to us.
0: Yeah. And I love that the weakest link, you know, I, I found for me the parts of my life that I don't want to look at, but that's also a thing though, you know, like I remember there was one point in time where I knew my weakest link, but I really didn't want to go there because I knew what (sighs) kind of, I know what that would involve. So I kept going for the smaller wins, the little things. Yeah. How do you encourage or empower, I guess, or even inspire that the courage to go and look at the areas of your life that you may not be ready to look at, or you may feel afraid or, or Mm -hmm. apprehension around?
1: Well, in the book, I talk about motivation because a lot of things we know what to do, but we don't do what we know. Mm. And so I do talk about Some motivation methods to help you stay consistently motivated to do what might be challenging for you. And those motivation methods really help a lot. Another aspect is breaking it down into small enough steps. You know, the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. So, you know, I used to be afraid of everything and then I said, okay, I'm going to work on my best guess for how to deal with fears 10 minutes a week. I can do that. You know, and then it was like half an hour a week and and you know if you're consistent you make a lot of progress. Now hardly anything bothers me at all. So it's really a matter of of pacing yourself. This is more like a marathon than a sprint.
0: Yeah. How has the quality of your relationships changed as a result of you leaning into practices like these on a on a regular basis?
1: Well, they've definitely transformed. I used to have really bad relationships with lots of blame and little joy. You might know I've written a couple of books about relationships and one sold a million copies. So, you know, I really focused on that area. And now, you know, I have so many relationships that are good and and fun and joyful and loving. You know, it's a totally different world. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of couples They just fall into the same traps over again, blaming, shaming, complaining their partner, you know, but having a certain spiritual vibration or perspective where I'm feeling love from the inside really helps because you can't give what you don't have. Mm. And part of staying grounded is I used to ask all these spiritual leaders, what's the meaning and purpose of life? What are we here to do? And after asking like 40 of them, I gave up ant- ant- asking that question because the first 40 gave the exact same answer. So for fourteen ninety five, your listeners can find <laughs> out. <what they> <laughs>
0: no, come on, Jonathan. Don't leave us like that. <laughs> okay, okay. <right. laughs> what is it? Come on.
1: Yeah, they said we're here to do two things. I, I was surprised that they all said the same thing. You know, I'd be... If you can get Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, Deepak Chopra, Shanti, and Byron Katie all saying the same thing, that's pretty amazing. So they said, first, we're here to find inner peace and love within ourselves. Not a new message, but not many people are really doing that or having much success at it. Once you find some inner peace and love within yourself, your next step, is from your abundance to help other people because there's uh you may have noticed there's a little bit of suffering out there nowadays
0: what's beautiful is that you start with finding the love and peace within yourself not helping others first i think there's a culture of wanting to go and save others help others do 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 instead of coming back to you and i just love that order like first you learn to love yourself first you fill your own cup First, you, you feel the abundance in you. Then from there, share it overflowing with others. It's never a, let me sacrifice myself so that I can serve another. And I think that's a really powerful message, especially as it's coming from so many different individuals that, you know, I would believe have done the work, or at least it seems like on from the outside, you know, they've all experienced some level of, that within themselves. And and that's why they're able to actually give so much to the world.
1: Right. You know, it's like the uh, airplane thing we hear, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then your child. Otherwise, you might both die.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, do you think there's a difference between love and inner peace? Well, they're
1: both higher vibrations than most people live at. If you have peace, it's easier to feel love. If you have love, it's easier to feel peace. So the question really is, how do we raise our vibration and what works for you? But in some systems, they really focus on love first, knowing that if you do that enough, you'll find peace. And other systems, they work more on peace, knowing that if you do that, you know, like Christianity focuses on love. And by focusing so much on love, you hopefully will find peace. Buddhism more focuses on peace. By focusing enough on peace, eventually you'll get to compassion and love. So I think it's really a matter of what what calls out to you the mm-hmm. most.
0: I think I'm, what I'm really appreciating most about this conversation is just bringing it back to the awareness of like really checking in with you. What calls back to you? What mm-hmm. resonates with you? Even that word resonate kind of goes to that idea of frequency. And Mm -hmm. you being able to choose that. Now, when we say higher vibration, can you unpack that a little bit as well? What are you referring to when you're saying higher vibration? And what would a lower vibration be so that we can give the listeners contrast to know Mm -hmm. where they're at? Well,
1: Well, let's think of it in common language of emotion. A lower vibration would be things like blame, anger, depression, apathy, Frustration, sadness, those are, they're fine states and everybody experiences them, but they don't feel good. I would call them like a lower vibration. Whereas higher vibration feelings associated with that might be love, peace, ecstasy, joy, lightness, things like that. And they actually, feel when you tap into them and really feel them, they can really feel like you're vibrating at a different frequency when you're feeling ecstasy versus when you're feeling tired and apathetic. You know, one feels heavy, one feels kind of light and, and enlightening in a certain way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then when you say it that way, do you feel like we have a choice to feel the way we want to feel? Or do you feel like, a lot of times feelings and a lot of the things we feel are out of our out of our conscious control.
1: Well, they're certainly out of our conscious control and your mission, should you decide to accept it, is to try to get them in your conscious control. So, you know, when I was depressed and suicidal, I didn't feel like I had any control. But as I read ideas and methods that helped me to feel better... You know, like even something as simple as the thank you mantra or feeling your love for somebody, that raises your vibration. So doing these little practices throughout the day then does put your feelings in more of a conscious control. You do have some say. And over time, they became habits for me. So now if I feel bad, it just feels really off. You know, it's like, oh, you know, that just doesn't feel right anymore.
0: So when you were, what inspired you to want to feel better? Pain. (laughs) Pain is a good motivator. I was sick and tired of being
1: sick and tired. And, you know, I was desperate. So that can be a really good motivator. Like, I don't want to be like this anymore. I remember my uncle hypnotized my sister this many years ago into thinking that she was Mick Jagger. Now, my sister was a very shy 15-year-old. And he, she immediately jumped up on a table and started singing, I can't get no satisfaction. That amazed me. Like, how do you change somebody's total identity in 10 minutes? So that inspired me of, to what's possible. You know, later I took psychedelics and I saw, oh man, there's a whole world outside my head that could be joyous and amazing. And I didn't even know about. Mm. So. A combination of pain of feeling depressed and then the possibility of pleasure of knowing that there were whole vistas that I had missed before.
0: That's what psychedelics did for me. My first psychedelic experience cracked me open to a whole new world. I didn't even realize was possible. And that inspired the pursuit. It's like, once you taste it, you can't, once you see it, you can't unsee it.
1: Yeah, that's true. I recently, I have a podcast called Awareness Explorers, and we just did a whole thing on a, psych, a a psychedelic debate, like the uses and abuses and what they can do for you, what they can't do for you. And I actually got to study that academically at UC Santa Barbara. And my master's thesis was on the therapeutic effects of MDMA, better wow. known as ecstasy, for treating PTSD. And 40 years ago, we found that we could solve it, in PTSD, in one session. Well, it's taken 40 years and millions of dollars of research. And next year, they're going to make it legal as a, a treatment for PTSD.
0: That is unbelievable. I didn't realize you had done all. like You've done a lot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty persistent when I th- I'm passionate about something.
0: Yeah, where do you feel like this pat was this passion always there or is it something that kind of developed over time? What is your I guess idea on passion as a as a concept itself?
1: Well, I think everybody's passionate but we get kind of numbed by society and the day-to-day thing and we forget to listen to our passion. Forget to listen to our curiosity. So it's been an unpacking. You know, every every two year old I've ever seen is passionate. You know, might be passionate about their toy or whatever. Every four year old is, but not every thirteen year old is. By then, we have dumped a lot of crap on them, and and we are just trying to survive. So it's really a process of uncovering your passion rather than creating it.
0: Mm, almost even remembering your passion. It's like connecting. Yeah, yeah. Connecting to that love in your, like, like when I feel connected to my heart and I feel in my body and I'm like just really truly being in presence, I, I think passion is the natural byproduct of that. In a way, it's our natural state. It's the uninhibited nature of our human expression that yeah. actually touches everything we do. I, I used to think that, you know, even purpose and passion was found in what you do. It's, I think it's more of just expressed in who you are. And, and, and I, and I think the more we, this is why I'm really, I was passionate. I was curious to hear your perspectives on like removing the conditions and moving through the denser energies in our body. Because I feel like the more I did that, the more natural passion just became in my life. So it wasn't even me moving out of the mundane that I was doing. It was actually removing some of the, the denser energies and resentments and, and just stories yeah. that I was holding onto that were keeping me trapped in a way of being that, that didn't have passion.
1: Yeah. You're undoing the rocks on your back. So you just, you know, naturally rise up because you're lighter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: What has been your favorite, I guess, spiritual leader to learn? I mean, I'm sure it's hard to pick that, but if you had to pick, one conversation that truly actually moved you or helped you see yourself in a whole new way. Which conversation was that?
1: Well, I went to see a guru named uh, Punjaji in India, and uh, I didn't know much about him. So when I got to his place, which was his house, you know, I just walked in and he's having a, a, a discussion. But he points to me, and he says, you sit here, like right in front of him. So I sit in front of him and he gets up close to me and he says, um, so who are you? And I didn't know the protocol. So I said, I'm Jonathan from the United States. And he and the other people in the room just started busting up laughing. And I thought, well, that was the wrong answer. And then he said, no, who are you really? So I said, uh, I'm a spiritual seeker. And he kind of shook his head no. And I said, I'm a writer. He shook his head no. And I said, I'm a man. He shook his head no. I did this for about two minutes and just ran out of the roles that I think I am. And then I looked in his eyes and there were like light beams coming out of his eyes. And I felt a certain like opening in my chest. And I just kind of went with it. And I was then hit by a. what felt like a tsunami of love overcoming me. And my reaction to this, like, wall of love or whatever you want to call it, was I just started weeping in his lap. And I don't know if I'd ever felt that much love before. So as I'm weeping in his lap, he pats me on the head and he says, this love is who you really are. Mm -hmm. And your job in life is to get back to it as best you can. So I've kind of taken it on as a job you know, I work a bunch of hours each week and I know that place and I know how good it feels and I know how much I help people when I'm in that place so that conversation had a really lasting impact on me how do you
0: integrate experiences like that
1: I do practices each day I'm pretty lazy so I don't do a lot of practice but I try to do the the best greatest hit practices you know, I wrote a book about it. I talk to people. I have friends that, you know, I do a podcast where I interview spiritual leaders. So, you know, I'm in pretty good shape that way. I surround myself with it. But even when I didn't, I always had some practice that I knew helped me be centered in my heart, even if I was only doing it 10 minutes a day.
0: Yeah. I uh, I really appreciate you. I'm I'm actually really grateful that you know I'm I'm getting an opportunity to really like peel behind the curtain and and see all of these different influences and all of these different these different experiences that have helped you like be in this energy right now because I can feel like I had shivers go up my spine when I heard you describe the the feeling of love. Mm. And I can only, and I can feel it and I can feel how much that meant to you. And I'm just re- I just want to echo, mirror that to you. I, I really appreciate, um, just you as a being, because it's, it's really beautiful to, to experience in this moment. Mm.
1: And- Likewise, uh, a lot of the podcasts I do, the person isn't as real or as curious and, uh, it's nice to be able to talk about these things, you know, and, and really share information with each other. You know, Ramdas said, uh, we're really just walking each other home. That's my and, favorite quote. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, me too. It's, uh, so let's talk about, I mean, we've kind of sprinkled the book here and there throughout the conversation, but, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, what inspired the book now? You know, like you've written other books, you've, you know, you've been an author, a creator, a serial creator your entire (laughs) life, you know, like why this book now?
1: Well, it's the point you have to say, you know, like if you win the lottery, it kind of stinks if you just use it to build a billion dollar yacht. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. And, you know, I kind of won the spiritual lottery and that I had access to all these teachers. So I wanted to get the greatest stuff I'd learned into one book, hoping that it helps other people. And so that's why I felt like, okay, I've talked to everybody I wanted to talk to. Now it's really a matter of trying to get this information out to a larger audience because... The world's in trouble and people are in trouble and they need the greatest hits in an easily digestible form for little or no money. You know, I took a lot of courses that cost tens of thousands of dollars and I summarize them in the book. This is the only thing I learned in that twenty-five thousand dollar course I took. But people shouldn't have to spend twenty-five thousand bucks to get the best stuff. They should be able to get it for nothing if if
0: they can. Oh man. I... <laughs> Yeah, I 100% agree. That's actually the why behind my podcast. I don't make mm-hmm. money on my podcast. It's not, to me, it's been a labor of love for the last several years, and it's been mm-hmm. me just sharing that. I don't think it should cost a fortune for somebody to come back to their natural birthright, which is themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I share my five favorite methods for awakening to presence in under a minute for free on my website. So if people want those five methods and ebook and audio meditation, they can go to the dot and put in their email and they get those five methods and ebook for free.
0: And is the book available on all the, on Amazon, all the regular yeah. places. Great. Well, all everyone, everyone listening, we'll make uh, all of those links available in the show notes. And Jonathan, I, I do have one looming question. Okay. Uh, (laughs) In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been, and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded?
1: Well, I do meditate at least 20 minutes a day. And I choose a method every day that I can do throughout the day. I might only like the thank you technique or or many other different ones. I choose a method I put on a post-it note, and I do that whenever I can remember and between those two things i stay really grounded mm.
0: well i've so one just appreciated this conversation it really is amazing to have an opportunity to talk to somebody who's been around so many different teachers i feel like i'm really early on in my journey as it you know on a, and and to to be able to soak in your wisdom and the collective wisdom of everyone you've had a chance to spend time with is just such a blessing so thank you for for being here and for making your heart open to us and for sharing everything that just sharing what's present for you it means a lot my honor and pleasure well everybody that is a wrap for this week's episode of stay grounded i'm your host raj this is your new friend jonathan and from us stay grounded we'll chat soon